0: As COVID-19 continues to wreak havoc on people and economies around the world, Canada's business community is starting to ask, what can we do to better prepare before the next crisis hits? I'm Emily Jackson, and you're listening to a special episode of Down to Business, recorded as part of a series called Strong and Free, Shockproofing Canada. The series examines how Canada, made wealthy by globalization and trade, can protect itself against pandemics and other future shocks. How can our country ensure some of our resources and economic power are reserved for our own security? This week we're joined by Conference Board of Canada's senior economist Julie Addis to discuss some of the long-term changes the Conference Board expects to take hold after the pandemic. And no, it's not getting ready to slam the doors shut and entrench in protectionism. Instead, it expects Canadian businesses to push for global cooperation, invest in digitization, and reskill their employees for the new reality. How have Canada's supply chains been affected by the pandemic so far?
1: So we expect the pandemic to lead to a decline in global exports that will be the largest in modern times, even larger than any recent trade war or natural disasters. So since Canada is a small open economy, we are being affected by the pandemic from multiple angles, especially since Canada's main trading partners, the EU, China, the UK, and especially the US have experienced or are experiencing right now, significant supply and demand shocks. So we expect the supply chain disruptions to have profound implications for Canada's economy and trade prospects. Uh, In fact, in the conference Board' most recent forecast, we expect uh, raw materials such as crude oil to take the biggest hit, um, as we have already seen, and also durable goods such as autos and machinery and equipment, uh, which depend heavily on integrated supply chains, especially with the U.S. On the services side, uh, exports of travel and transportation services are expected to be the hardest hit.
0: Now, the conference board expects it to be a slow return to normal or whatever this new normal might look like when it comes to these global supply chains. Why is that?
1: Yeah, there's still a lot of uncertainty about the duration of the COVID-19 impacts and also their broader implications Health experts have suggested that the virus could stick around and become endemic in the human population. Um, So there are still many unknowns. But given those unknowns and also the scope of the disruptions around the world, we don't expect uh, global supply chain operations to return quickly to pre-outbreak levels. It's not going to be something that will happen overnight. Uh, Some containment measures like uh, related to travel, for example, uh, will likely persist even after the number of COVID-19 cases starts to fall. Uh, And this is something we saw in countries like China and Singapore. Those two countries were able to bring the number of COVID-19 cases within their borders under control. But then they retightened their containment measures later on to respond to an uptick in the spread of the virus due to imported cases. And China's experience has also shown that production can be slow to resume due to a number of factors, including the need for new sanitation procedures, protective gear, and also the slow recovery of the transportation sector. So given those many unknowns and how widespread the disruptions are, we, uh, we expect global supply chain operations to, to return more gradually to more l- normal levels. So it's going to be a slow return.
0: Do you have a timeline on how long that might take?
1: Unfortunately, no. Uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty about the duration of uh, the, the pandemic and their implications. So no, I, I don't have a, an estimate at this point.
0: I mean, that's very fair. I don't think anyone knows exactly how this is going to play out. But what is more fair to predict is what are some of the long term changes we can expect on our supply chains going forward? I know the conference board has a few things of temporary reactions that could become more long term realities.
1: Mm-hmm. So the ongoing disruptions are making the current environment uh, very challenging for businesses to operate in but we also think that this could be an incentive for businesses to to rethink and reevaluate the way they operate at home and abroad and how they interact with their suppliers their buyers and potentially make long lasting changes for example businesses and consumers are now relying more on digital solutions for economic and social activities and businesses that can take advantage of online platforms and other dig- digital technologies will be in a better position to um, to mitigate the impact of the outbreak. And research has shown that digital technologies can reduce costs for businesses and smaller firms that use e-commerce platforms have more easily access to global markets, both for buying and selling products, and they remain exporters longer. Than those firms that operate solely in traditional markets,
0: what sort of technologies are we talking about here? Is this sounds like more than just this surge in online shopping that we're all doing under these stay at home orders.
1: Well, there are different types of technologies that uh, could be uh, useful in the current context. For example, businesses could develop and adopt more agile ways of modeling supply and demand and sourcing their components, for example, using a map of their supply chain networks. So uh, global supply chains have typically followed a linear just-in-time model with information moving from suppliers to producers to distributors, then to consumers and back. So the problem with this linear just-in-time model is that when there's an interruption at one of those supply chain stages, the impact is spread quickly across the rest of the supply chain. But with a system like a a mapping of uh, supply chain networks, businesses would be able to see their entire supply chain networks and identify exactly which suppliers, which sites and parts are at risk, and then make an appropriate corrective action. So this would allow them to... Uh, respond more effectively to uh, future supply chain disruptions, maybe from another pandemic, a trade war, or a natural disaster or something else.
0: So it's sort of a digital technology that enables the shift away from just-in-time manufacturing, which has been the most cost-effective and, I think, industry-standard way of doing things for a number of years now
1: yeah this is the the more digital aspect of production and operations has been taking place for a number of years but we do believe that the the current environment is accelerating the trend that we have seen over the last few years so uh, it could be an incentive or a catalyst pushing businesses to to move towards this, this this direction a bit faster than they would have been without the outbreak.
0: Right. It's sort of that you have to adapt in order to survive. Your report also mentions 3D printing. I'm just hoping you can address that quickly.
1: Well, the current situation, current challenges can also push businesses to uh, develop more flexible production methods. And... Uh, 3D printing would be one of those approaches. So in times of emergency and supply chain disruptions, there's a greater need to make up for shortages of specific parts in a timely manner. And that's when the benefits of using 3D printers can become very valuable. Uh, as we have seen recently for medical equipments, organizations around the world have used 3D printing to respond to the surge in demand for medical supplies and medical equipments.
0: So, so something that helps on the sort of the more immediate side of things. When it comes to Canada's place in the world, if we zoom out and take a larger look protectionism and this sort of increased nationalism was on the rise before the outbreak happened. But we're seeing even more and more examples of this during the pandemic, including dozens of governments banning exports on medical supplies. This has become a challenge, even with the United States, our closest trading partner. Now, Canada has traditionally relied on global supply chains as such a small trading nation. What does this increase of protectionism during the pandemic. What are some of the long-term implications for Canada there?
1: Mm -hmm. So Canada is a small, open economy. So we depend on both exports and imports to support economic growth. More than 20% of the value of our gross exports actually originate from other countries, So, uh, and we're relying on imports of medical supplies and many other products during this pandemic. And at the same time, other countries depend on Canada's exports. So it is often tempting for governments in times of crisis to impose protectionist measures and to want to return to an economy that is more self-reliant. As you mentioned, we have seen several countries restricting their exports of medical supplies since the start of the outbreak. But the problem with uh, this approach and with these restrictions is that they often lead to retaliations and reduce trust between Uh, trading partners, and this could lead to escalating protectionist measures, which would make our economies more worse off over the long term. What's
0: the idea behind why this would make Canada in particular worse off? Because the protectionism calls are also coming from within. You know, you hear a lot of people saying, wait a minute, why don't we produce our own medicine? We need to be more self-reliant when it comes to food, to supplies, to energy. You know, this is something we're we're seeing not only around the world, but from some leaders in Canada as well.
1: Yes, that's a good point. And um, so, for example, because value chains are highly integrated, if a country places or imposes restrictions on its exports, that can put another country's exports at risk. And as we know, Canada relies on exports for economic growth. So we have actually seen this in the production of medical supplies over the last few weeks, uh, where a producer of ventilators in one country had to slow its production because another country had imposed restrictions on exports of a specific input. So in the end, that country that relies on input of another country had to slow production, but also had to slow exports, which also Affects the country that, in first, end, impose their restrictions on the input. So our our global supply chains are very integrated, and we're very interconnected. And as we've seen, um, we have to remember that. One of the reasons why businesses have started to develop and integrate into global supply chains was to mitigate or to reduce the risk associated with productions that rely solely on local resources. So, Increased trade protectionism would add to inefficiencies, it would lift costs, it could lead to further risk related to local production. And also history has shown, for example, through our experience with the Great Depression in the 1930s, that escalating protectionism can also have far worse consequences. So a global cooperative approach is really important in the short term to uh, to solve the current health and economic crisis, but it's also important over the long term to to help restore trust in global supply chains, networks, and to maintain the benefits that we have been able to observe over the years thanks to global trade.
0: Now, how do we get that global cooperation at this time when a lot of people are operating on fear and the inclination to isolate and become more isolated? You know, what are what are some of the ways that Canada can advocate for this that could actually work?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think people and and businesses and governments need to, um, to be aware and to remember that we are in an interconnected world and that Often our production, our own production, relies on input from other countries and our exports goes to those other countries. So since the value chains, the global supply chains are so highly integrated and we benefit from this integration as well, it is to our own benefit to maintain this cooperation, this global cooperation among countries. Um, it is important. We've seen over history how important global cooperation is, and how how uh, negatively uh, protectionism and relying on our own economy only can have an impact on our economy in the end over the long term, but also can have a global, a negative global impact as well
0: this conversation around globalization versus protectionism is is going to be a long one and it's going to be a long haul but it's clear that the business community is advocating for that continued openness there's one more sort of effect of this pandemic that I was hoping to address. And that's the high unemployment rate we're seeing. Now, we don't have the numbers for April yet, but based on the millions of people applying for emergency response benefits, people are predicting it's going to be pretty grim. What can the Canadian business community do to address unemployment right now? How do we solve that going forward? And is there Are there any long term ways we can help fix this situation?
1: So since the start of the outbreak, businesses across different sectors have laid off many workers or they reduce their working hours. This is a challenge. But uh, for the businesses that can benefit from the wage subsidy program, this can also give them some leg room to reskill workers that are now newly available so that the businesses and the employees are in a better position to tackle the new realities that uh, we think will become more mainstream once the crisis is over and governments can also play a role like many other countries canada has taken extraordinary steps to free up liquidity for firms and uh, has introduced a wage a wage subsidy program to uh, caution the shocks and avoid layoffs so that businesses are in a better position to resume production once the impact of the pandemic fade but firms, uh, especially small and medium-sized enterprises, the smaller firms, can be left behind if they don't have uh, the required technical digital skills to face the new realities that uh, we think will become more common once uh, the crisis is over. So it may it may be useful to explore measures that encourage the reskilling of businesses and workers as part of the long-term COVID-19 response plan.
0: So we- Would that look like a big training program so people know how to do, I mean, digital supply chain services or what does that look like?
1: we we've already seen some reskilling programs introduced in other countries for example um, the philippines had implemented a technical education and a skills development authority scholarship program to to help upskill their workers in canada also uh, our future skills center is establishing a program to retrain workers who have been displaced in the hospitality sector so which is one of the sectors that was most affected by so far by the pandemic.
0: Right, okay. So there's some programs in place to try to reskill those workers. I guess moving forward, what is the conference board hoping to see as the big lesson we can take away from this in order to better protect our country against shocks like this going forward?
1: I think the, the lesson learned is that Challenges like the one we are experiencing today can be very difficult. It's really pushing us, pushing businesses, pushing individuals to, uh, to reevaluate how we have done business so far. And what are the, uh, what are the components of our operations that can be upgraded or adapted? So although it's a very challenging time, it's also an opportunity for businesses to look at how to reflect on how they have been dealing with their, uh, with their production methods and approaches and how they can be more flexible and more agile in adapting to, to the changes in the economy. So the economy had become already more digital over the last few years. But I think this challenge, this, this current context that we are living is accelerating the trend. So it's not something that, that is completely new. So this, but this is something that is that might get us to where we were supposed to be a bit faster. So, and the the lesson learned is to be more agile, more flexible and to adapt to this world, this world that will require to be more flexible and to adapt quickly to different changes in the global environment. Julie,
0: thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That was Julie Addis, Senior Economist at the Conference Board of Canada's Global Commerce Centre. Thank you for listening, and thank you to the Financial Post team, Yadul Hussain, Bryce Hall, and Pamela Heaven. You can read our series on shockproofing Canada at www.financialpost.com. I'm Emily Jackson. Thank you for listening.